0: Today we're going to listen to one really important command from God.
1: The task of encouraging one another is a command from God, and He expects us to do it.
0: Welcome to Unshaken, I'm your host, Julie Van Warmer, and I'm really excited that you are joining us today. Today is episode 188, and today we are going to listen in on a talk given at our Regarding Him conference. And by the way, that conference is coming up, so head over to regardinghim.org for more information and to register. So today we will jump into the second part of our Stand series. Cheryl Bailey is going to walk us through some practical and down-to-earth ways to have more courage in our lives each and every day. No matter the world's politics and wars or our personal struggles or our inward turmoil, we can take courage because Christ has overcome the world.
1: When I was a kid, I had a very romantic idea about glasses. In my mind, I thought if I wore glasses, I could have a different outfit, a different pair of glasses for every outfit, always changing to get a different look. Now, a few weeks ago um, at church, I said to a girl, I didn't know you wore glasses. She said, oh, I don't. These just look really good on me, don't you think? And, and I thought, Hi, I must have been a trendsetter back then, you know? Anyway, what you need to understand is, I was the furthest girl in my class from looking, or dressing, or acting cool. In fact, when I was in seventh grade, my mom took me clothes shopping um, for school, and we were at the shoe store, and there I saw them. They were black, kind of boot-like shoes. The problem were was that they were in the women's orthopedic section. <laughs> my mom didn't get me those shoes, but she did get me the mint green pantsuit. It had large pockets all over the front and pockets down the legs. I thought I looked just like an astronaut. Thank you. Why did I want to look like an astronaut in seventh grade? I really don't have any idea. Everybody has a period of awkwardness, but for me, really, it was my whole growing up years. But in my mind, I thought glasses were the thing but my 2020 eyesight kept me from this accessory that I knew would have changed the trajectory of my teenage years. Now, if we fast forward 30 years, I remember standing in Myers one day, looking at a jar of molasses. I was trying to read the label to see how much iron was in it. So I extended my arm so I could see the letters clearer, but my arm wouldn't go out far enough that I could see the letters. Now, by this point, I knew glasses weren't the thing. So this began a period of denial in my life. You know, I would go to the bank and I would grab one of the little slips of paper and I couldn't tell if I had the withdrawal or the deposit ticket. I would show up at Bible study and I was supposed to lead and I couldn't see my notes. I didn't know what time I was getting out of bed in the morning, really life was a blur to me. My eyes told me I lived in a land where everything just kind of blurred together. I needed something to correct my perspective. Now, this wasn't entirely bad. I maybe couldn't see anything, but at least when I walked past the mirror in the morning, I wasn't in shock at my aging self (laughs) because my perspective said my skin was smooth and tight, but the mirror said wrinkled and saggy. Now, this rapid decline in my eyesight gave me a perspective on life that was wrong. Perspective is a very important part of life. And just like my bad eyesight gave me a wrong perspective and it affected my day, so our wrong perspective can keep us from standing courageously within our culture. So this morning, we spoke about um, our need to understand that courage is not something we muster up. It's not based on our own abilities, but we have courage as we are filled with the Holy Spirit and rely on his power within us. And that courage comes out of convictions based on the truth of God and his word, and that these convictions are stronger than the fear and the anxiety that keep us from acting courageously. And finally, that Jesus gave us himself as an example to follow, to do the will of the Father, not just follow after what we think is best for us. So we fix our eyes on Jesus, and he fills us with courage. This afternoon, I want to leave you with one thought. And if you don't remember anything else that I've said today, I hope that you remember this. God desires each of us to live with an eternal perspective. Pray with me. Father, I thank you for this day and for the many, many people who have, have worked and served behind the scenes. And I thank you, Father, for, for allowing us to be here in your presence. and pray that you would guide my lips and that you would speak through me. In Jesus' name, amen. We know little of the life of a woman named Perpetua. She was a, a woman born of noble birth. She lived with her husband and newborn son in the turn of the third century. We don't know what brought Perpetua to faith in Jesus or how at such a young age she had grown in such courage. At age 22, Perpetua had just given birth to a newborn baby boy and she was arrested for being a follower of Jesus. She had a resolve that was remarkable. She gave the care of her baby, her newborn son, to be cared for by her mother and her brother, knowing that she would likely be killed for her faith and yet she would not be persuaded to recant. You know, you think about a Roman uh, prison cell. It was oftentimes an underground dungeon. It was damp, dark, crowded. They were places of physical and psychological torture used to get prisoners to confess. You didn't even have food unless you had family or friends that would bring you uh, these necessities. Now, we know much of what happened to Perpetua because she was able to keep a diary and it records her written words of her testimony of her trust and faith in God. On several occasions, her father came to the prison to try to persuade her and get her to recant. On one of these occasions, she asked him a question. She said, can a vase be called by any other name than what it is? And he responded, no and her commitment is seen as she answers him. She says, so too I cannot be called by anything other than what I am, a Christian. Her father was angered and left because of her response, but he returned on the day of her trial for one last attempt to persuade her to recant. He holds her newborn baby up in the air and yells, perform the sacrifice, have pity on your baby. Perpetua replies, I will not. And the judge asks her, are you a Christian? Yes, I am, she replies. And Perpetua is sentenced to be condemned to the beast. Perpetua went to her death because she was resolved that Jesus had said, in the world, you will have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. This morning, we looked at the life of Peter and his willingness to be bold and courageous, to act and to suffer, even to the point of death, because he was convinced of who Jesus was, and he believed the promises of God were true and for him. This conviction led him to live in boldness and courage. This afternoon, we are going to look at the courage of the Apostle Paul. Our passage is taken from the second letter he wrote to the church at Corinth. I'm going to read 2 Corinthians 4, But the things which are not seen are eternal. Now, verse 16 begins with the word therefore. And when we see this word, it's really important for us to look back to see what came before so that we can grasp the meaning that the writer intends. So if we back up a few verses to verse 7, we see that Paul is speaking about a treasure. Now, we often view a treasure as something that's monetary, um, jewelry, piece of Furniture that gets passed down through your family, our wedding rings. About 10 years ago, I had the opportunity to visit the Tower of London, and there we saw the crown jewels. These jewels were a symbol of the British monarchy's power and authority. There were all kinds of uh, scepters, crowns, jewelry, and they were all kept under the watchful eye of armed guards. Many of them were in little boxes with... uh, uh, like laser lights shining on them. You could observe them, but you couldn't get close to them. Now, if we compare these valuable uh, pieces, these treasures from the Tower of London to God's storehouse, these treasures in the Tower of London would be like bubblegum trinkets of, of total unimportance, and here Paul is driving home the point that God is not putting his treasure under lock and key. It's not kept away from us, but he's actually given it to the care of the believer. This treasure is given to ordinary people who love him. So what is this priceless treasure? Well, Paul said, into the darkness of our lives, God has allowed the light of Jesus to shine. God has entrusted to those who believe in him the treasure of his only son, the glory of God. God has opened our eyes by his spirit and made us capable of receiving the light of the gospel. The light of the gospel simply means that sin and darkness governed this world and God set his son, Jesus, to shine light into the darkness, revealing our sin and pointing out our need for a savior. This is the gospel that those who believe in Jesus have in their care. Jesus is our priceless treasure, far more valuable than anything of this world. God has entrusted this most valuable treasure to common, ordinary men and women, to you and me if you trust in him. But this treasure is not given to us so that I think I'm great or important, but so that others will see the power of God. This is why Paul can say we are afflicted perplexed, persecuted, and struck down. But we have not been crushed. We are not in despair. We have not been abandoned or destroyed. God is glorified and his power is seen in the midst of the hard things of this life, the things we need courage for. This treasure that God entrusted to Paul allows him to say, therefore, We will not lose heart. Paul understands that his body is being used up, that he's on a path that will eventually end in his physical death. But he knows the one that raised Jesus from the dead will raise him up as well. Death is a result of the fall. Back in the Garden of Eden, God had told Adam that he could eat from any tree in the garden except one. And when Eve brought the fruit from that one tree to Adam, He should have led his wife and said, no, we are not eating that. But instead, his mind had already begun to think about how he might be like God, and he ate it. Sin, the curse of the fall, the promise of a physical death, have led us where we are today. We are a society that lacks true courage. Sin, the desire to be like God, is what is natural for each of us. We don't need courage for these things. We need courage to go against what is natural. Darkness reigns in the world we live in and we are encouraged to stand up for our rights, to live for ourselves, and to do as we please. Sin is what we want to do, but the Bible calls us to have courage to reject the sinfulness of our culture and to stand as women of faith in truth. Each of us needs courage to stand for truth within our culture. We may be ridiculed because we speak about an actual heaven and hell. We may have allowed God to control how many children we have so we can't go to the grocery store without someone asking, are those all yours? We may face a long-term health diagnosis. We may live in a hard marriage but courageously seek to show respect to our husband. We may have a child who has chosen a path away from God. But our passage says, Therefore, we will not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen." For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Courage understands an eternal perspective. Now I know some of you may be thinking, you don't understand my situation. You don't know what I need courage for. I just can't stand anymore, I've tried. Remember, Paul calls us to not lose heart, to take courage in the fact that God is renewing us day by day this idea of god giving us what we need for each day is a truth that's really found throughout scripture god knows the hardships you're facing in fact he's brought these hardships into your life that you need courage for and he is giving you enough for whatever your particular circumstances need for today this way we don't stand because of our own abilities but because of our trust and dependence on God. This fact that God is renewing us day by day keeps our eyes looking upwards towards heaven. Eternal perspective is what gives Paul courage to stand within his culture, and it is what he is calling us to follow him in. This eternal perspective allows Paul to say, This momentary light affliction is nothing because it creates in in us something that transcends this life. It's growing what Paul calls an eternal weight of glory. Now I know it is often hard to look at suffering, at the things that are frightening, that are hard, that wear us down as momentary and light affliction. They're real, they're hard. Yet this perspective that we need looks beyond the hardships of today, and it sees the bigger picture, the eternal one. This helps us to understand that God is producing in us a life that brings him glory. Our circumstances that require us to have courage are bringing about something that is weighty and full of glory. Now, it's easy for me to think about things that are weighty as a burden. You know, I get on the scales and I think, oh yeah, I don't want to go up in weight. And and yet, Paul is not referring to something that's weighty or heavy. Paul is referring to things like a gold nugget or a diamond whose value is determined by its weight. As we stand encouraged through the hard things in life, God is glorified. And it is producing what Paul refers to as this eternal weight of glory. We may not see it right now, but the scales are tipping in heaven. Paul may have anticipated pushback when he wrote that the hard things in this life are but light and momentary, because at the end of this this letter he wrote to the Corinthian church, he writes of his own hardships. He says, in far more labors, thrown into prison so many times I can't even remember, I quit counting how many times I was beaten. Every single day, I lived in the face of death. Five times, I received 39 lashes. Three times, I was beaten with rods, once stoned. Three times, I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I am in danger from rivers, from robbers, from my own countrymen from the Gentiles. I am in danger in the city, in the wilderness, and in the sea. I am in danger from false brothers. In labor, in hardship, in sleepless nights, in hunger, in thirst, in the, without food, being cold, Paul knew hardship. He understood courage. Perspective, it's the way we look at something. Paul was able to call his heavy and long-continued trials light, but for a moment, because of his eternal perspective. These hard things that required Paul to have courage were from God, and they were producing something that was bigger than this life, something eternal. I'm gonna read these verses one more time. Therefore, we do not lose heart, But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For a momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. The perspective Peter Paul, the Hebrew midwives, Perpetua, Sophia. The perspective these people had was that they understood that the things that are seen are temporary, while the things that are not seen are eternal. Can you imagine Perpetua? She's a young wife, a brand new mom, handing her newborn son over to the care of someone else wouldn't God understand if I just said with my mouth I recanted, but in my heart I still believed God for the sake of my little baby? She probably sat in that dungeon, damp, hungry, and I don't mean to be crude, but her breasts probably dripped with the milk that God had provided for her to feed that newborn baby. She sat waiting to be thrown to the beasts and torn apart. These were the things that were seen. But her eyes were looking at what was not seen, of heaven, of worship, of praise of God, of her bringing God glory. This eternal perspective allowed her to have peace and courage in the really hard things of this temporary life. For Peter to sit and sing praises to God after being beaten and thrown into prison. For Paul to be stoned and left outside the city, but then get up and go back into the city to speak about Jesus again. These men and women feared God. They knew that Jesus had shown his light into the darkness of their hearts and that they had been given a priceless treasure. They understood that this life is temporary. The perspective of eternity changed the way they looked at the events of today. This is true for you and me as well. The perspective of eternity should change the way we look at the events of today. Now most of us in this room will never be beaten or thrown into prison. We won't be stoned for speaking about Jesus, we won't be tortured or mauled to death by wild animals, but we all need the same perspective so that we live courageously with our mind fixed on the eternal and giving glory to God. (coughs) I have a friend whose grandparents were missionaries in China in the early 1800s. He tells this story his grandfather passed down to him. One evening, a man became ill and required medicine that was not available in their small village. Mr. Carlson, my friend's grandfather, said he would go on the multi-hour journey to get the needed medicine. He had to travel by foot through the night through an area that was known to be full of bandits. Mr. Carlson made it to the village, got the medicine, and returned to the sick man. A number of years later, Mr. Carlson met a man who had been a part of a group of bandits. And as this man was telling him about this remarkable night, Mr. Carlson began to realize he was talking about him, the night he had gone for the medicine. And this man said that they saw the man in a distance that they hoped to attack, but as he got closer, he was surrounded by angels. As this man spoke, Mr. Carlson knew he was the man who had been surrounded by the angels. He had been physically alone, but God was protecting him. You know, Mr. Carlson could have stayed home that night. No one would have blamed him, but he understood that courage comes from the perspective of seeing what is eternal. God had called him to be a witness for Jesus in that village in China, and this made him responsible. When he heard the report, and he knew he was that man surrounded by God's angels, This was simply a confirmation of the faith he had acted upon in courage. We are called to have an eternal perspective that changes our focus from the long view to the long view and allows us to stand courageously in the midst of our daily life. This afternoon I have three suggestions that I hope will be a help to you as you seek to live courageously, having an eternal perspective. The first is to open your eyes to the unseen and the reality of heaven. <clears throat> about a year ago, my kids were talking, and they used the term Karen. Now, i sorry if uh, I know there's at least one person by the name of Karen here. It's a fine name, but that's what they were talking about. And I said, well, what are you guys talking about? And they said, oh, Well, a Karen is something that uh, young people use to label a specific type of person. Here's where my trouble came in. I said, uh, well, who's Karen? And they laughed a little bit, and they said, "Uh, well, you're kind of a Karen, Mom. (laughs) So they went on to explain why they said I was a Karen. So later I looked up the term Karen and the Google search I did said, Karen is a pejorative slang term for an obnoxious, angry, entitled, and often racist middle-aged woman who uses her privilege to get her way or to police other people's behavior. Now, my kids said I was a Karen, because I often asked to speak to a manager if I didn't like something that was happening at a store I was in. Or I would argue about a price discrepancy, remember I'm cheap, of something I was purchasing. Now, I didn't really like this. I didn't wanna be walking into a store and, and think, oh, here these college students are whispering, she's a Karen. It made me stop and think about temporal versus eternal. I begin to ask God to help me to show Jesus to those people I encountered and not to demand my rights. Being a Karen makes me have a temporal perspective. It's about today, about me, about now. But having an eternal perspective is about the long game, forever, others, and ultimately God's glory. What might you do differently if your eyes were on the reality of heaven instead of on the temporary life of today? You know, prayer is powerful. God hears you when you pray. And as I read through the Bible each year, I am often struck by this truth. When God's people pray, He acts. We often don't pray because we are too fixed on this world instead of living with our minds set on the reality of eternity. Begin to pray and ask God to specifically give you a view into the reality of heaven. Ask God to help you to set your mind on the eternal, to remember that you've been given a priceless gift. Every day you will be given opportunity to live courageously. Be purposeful to pray and ask God to give you a mind and a heart that is fixed in heaven. When we fix our eyes on, Jesus, on the things that are seen, we begin to focus on all the what ifs of this temporary life, and this creates fear and anxiety, and it keeps us from living a life of courage. Pray that God will give you courage to live in the truths of eternity, even when you can't see them. This is faith, put into action. So first, open your eyes to the unseen and the reality of heaven. Second, remember that courage is uncomfortable. Courage is not some virtue that we conjure up. It is produced by faith, and faith acts. We see this in Hebrews 11. It begins with the definition of faith and says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And then the rest of the chapter is followed by a list of men and women who acted on their conviction of the things out of their sight. We saw this this morning in Peter's confidence of, in what he believed about God and that gave him conviction. Faith is always put into action based on the convictions of things we do not see. Faith has an eternal perspective that is not deterred by what seems to be the reality of today. When you are put in a situation where you can do something that makes you uncomfortable, do you do it? Probably no one here really likes being pushed out of what's comfortable for them. But as long as we live in comfort of what we know and are okay with, we will never act courageously. We must choose to step out of what is comfortable. I have been a pastor's wife for almost 35 years, and honestly, rarely does anyone ever confront me or point out my sin. This isn't good for me. I sin. I need to be pushed out of discomfort. I need people to challenge me. We all do. About five years ago, I was leading the high school girls small group, and I loved this opportunity to be a part of these young ladies' lives. One night, two of the ladies asked me a question. They said, why do you not raise your hand in worship? I replied quickly that I was usually holding a grandbaby, and that made it harder. Now, this was true to a small degree, but really a kind of pathetic answer. I quickly changed the subject because really, I didn't want to talk about it. Was it sin to not raise my hand in worship? No, this is not something in itself that is sinful. So why did their question bother me? I grew up in a church where no one raised their hand, and it was not comfortable for me. And if I'm really honest with myself, I see a pattern in my life. When changes are taking place, I am very slow to jump on board. Too often, I wonder what others will think of me. Over the years, these girls' words have come back to me. Now, I don't think they were seeking to call out sin or or confront me, but their words have been convicting to me. The Holy Spirit was using them to point out my need to move out of what was comfortable and to worship God and not think about what others think. Jesus says, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the son of man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory. I clearly know how to raise my hands. Why was my, was my not being willing to raise my hands my being ashamed of God? Yes, I often care more about what others think of me than what God thinks of me. And I like being comfortable. And I don't want to be pushed outside of my comfort zone. This is sin. Now, this example might not resonate with you. But where do you need courage to move beyond what you're comfortable with? Maybe it's being willing to join a Bible study. Maybe it's opening up about a sin in your life to a friend. Maybe it's sitting next to a girl at school that no one else will talk with. Maybe hanging around after church and talking with people that are new or that you've never met before. Maybe it's sharing something you've learned in Bible study with a friend at work. Maybe expecting your children to obey you instead of just redirecting them all day long. Maybe it's saying yes to opportunities to serve when you want to say, oh, I'm not ready for that yet. I need to be a Christian longer. Say yes now because your response will be the same in two years if you don't. Living with an eternal perspective pushes me outside of my comfort zone and allows my faith to act in ways that keep my eyes off of what is seen and on the things that are unseen. You know, Hebrews 11 is full of those examples of men and women who are pushed out of what's comfortable. And often when I read through them, I think to myself, what would I do? If my husband said, pack your stuff, we're moving, God told us to move, we're leaving tomorrow, what would I do? I know I would say, do you have a job? Do you have a place for us to live? Where exactly are we going? What if I watched my husband building a big boat because he believed God was gonna send rain, and year after year I watched him sawing wood and pounding nails? Would I have joined the neighbors in ridicule, in unbelief? Courage must be based on the belief that God is who he says he is and that when we do things that are outside of our comfort zone, God is giving us opportunities to practice having courage for our faith to act. Living courageously is based on an eternal perspective. So to have courage, we need to open our eyes to the unseen and the reality of heaven. Remember that courage is uncomfortable and finally, know the difference between substance and shadows. As kids, I'm sure all of us tried to jump on our shadow. Now, the shadow wasn't me, but as the sun shone, it made a reflection on the sidewalk. A shadow is an imperfect reflection of what is real. We live in a world that has rejected the real for the things that are merely shadows. We watch pornography in lieu of embracing the real intimacy that God created for a husband and wife to enjoy. We play video games, in which we become the authority and ruler of our own universe. We live on Instagram, or Twitter, or whatever else is the newest social media site, posting pictures of the perfect body, our successes, the wrinkle-free face, We brag of our children's brightness, their high test scores, while they live treating us with disrespect and disdain. Why is it important not to live in the shadow? What does the imperfect reflection of what is real have to do with courage? Why do we need to train ourselves to know the difference between what is real and what is simply an imperfect reflection? Well, if we read beyond our passage this afternoon and look at the beginning of chapter five, we read, Therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. This life is a shadow of the life to come. It is not our life. It is only an imperfect reflection of the real life in heaven. When I love this life, I will not have godly courage because this life becomes way too important. Paul says, therefore, remember we gotta look back, therefore, because of the things that are temporal, but because of the things that are eternal, have courage, don't live like this is your home. If I live at home in this body, Paul says, I am absent from the Lord, This life is a mere shadow of the life that God has created for the ones who follow him to have. You know, but it's easy to settle into the shadow and fail to enjoy the substance. The reality that heaven is our home, that eternity is real, that our life is not about staying looking good or healthy so that we don't come to a physical death, but about spending ourselves in this life, so that we can give glory to God in the real life, the eternal one. This is an eternal perspective. Hebrews 11 speaks of those men and women who died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them by faith and welcomed them from a distance. These men and women viewed themselves as strangers in this life. The great examples of scripture Perpetua, Sophia and her daughters, and many, many others made it clear that they were not at home in this world, but they lived with their eyes set on eternity. If you want to be a woman of courage, don't settle for a life that is merely a reflection of the real thing. As long as we are content with this world being our home, we won't have courage to live for God with an eternal perspective. Now, I want to leave you today with one very practical help to live courageously. Become an encourager. To encourage literally means to fill with courage or hope. Billy Graham once said, Courage is contagious. When a brave man takes a stand, the spines of others are often stiffened. Every day, we come face to face with our sin with those who oppose Jesus, with things that fill us with fear, dread, anxiety, with situations that are a risk for us. We need courage and we need help and we need to help fill others with courage. Now Hebrews 3.13 is a verse that for many years has intrigued me. It says, but encourage one another every day as long as it is still called today so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Encouragement is tied to fighting sin. How would your willingness to encourage your daughter, your son, your friend, your sister, your mother, your husband, help them to have courage to face the really difficult things that God has purposed in our life today? I know many of you desire to trust the promises of God, and you look to have an eternal perspective and to act in faith, yet over and over, as we act and no one encourages us, it is easy to become discouraged. And in this discouragement, we begin to take our eyes off of God, off of eternity, and we place them on us, on this life, on the hard things that we're facing, In these thoughts, we become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin lies to us. It tells us God won't come through for you. You're never gonna have victory over that sin. Don't bother having courage to fight it. No one really appreciates your making a stand. Just live like everybody else, it's easier. Ladies, you know, just like my blurry eyesight kept me from seeing correctly, I need to stop focusing on the blur and instead put on my glasses to give me a correct perspective. We need to to learn to use our eyes that have an eternal perspective to see where we can encourage others. About 10 years ago, I read a little short book called Humility by J.C. Mahaney. And this book was used by God to change my life and I'm not speaking in hyperbole, God used it to change me in a whole bunch of ways. One thing he says is in the life of every believer, we will see evidence of the Holy Spirit. Remember I mentioned that this morning, that we see the evidence of the Spirit in people's lives. And this book said you will see it in the life of every single believer. Maybe it's small, but you will see it. Well, it's easy for me to be critical, to see the negatives. But this book was used by God to make me start saying, okay, look for the evidence of the Holy Spirit and speak to others about it. It was a real challenge to me. Now I know every single woman in this room needs to be encouraged. And we need to encourage people with truth. One group of women that I am so grateful for and I think rarely get encouraged are the moms raising young children. I want you to know that I know this work is hard. You spend your days answering the same questions over and over. You make lots of food. You change many diapers. You clean up messes, and more messes, and more messes all day long. Not to mention all the laundry and all the other things you do. What you are doing is a very important task. You are raising up the next generation to fear God and live for Him. It actually takes a ton of courage to be a mom in our culture today. It's hard to keep going, doing these things over and over and over when we never hear words that strengthen us in this work and give us courage. Now I know mothers are not the only ones that need encouragement. I can look around the room and see all types of women who serve. Women who lay aside their own plans to care for their elderly parents. Women who work hard to bless newly married women, longing for a husband themselves. Women who serve in the church nursery even though their heart yearns, hurts from being infertile. A woman who has prayed faithfully for decades for her unbelieving husband to know the Lord. You know, it's easy for me to see my need for encouragement as a weakness, like I can't do it all without someone else in helping me. Yet this is foolish and sinful thinking. It keeps me from speaking up and encouraging others. And it keeps me from receiving the encouragement that others seek to give me. It's sin. God says, encourage one another daily. This means we need it often. We saw this idea of daily provision in our passage as God says he is renewing us day by day. We know that God gave the Israelites manna enough for each day. And here Paul says, encourage each other daily. I heard his husband once say to his wife, I told you I loved you when we got married and I'll let, let you know if it, change, if it changes. Now I know he was being funny, but This is not the way that God loves and encourages his children. He says we need encouragement every day. God doesn't give it to us all at one time and and expect us to uh, just dole it out. He gives us encouragement daily. He wants us to depend on him for this. And as his hands and his feet, as ladies, we need to imitate him and encourage others. Do something that will help you to begin to give courage to others through your words and your actions. Maybe write Hebrews 3.13 up on your bathroom mirror. Maybe put a big number three and hang it on the refrigerator to remind you to, to do three encouraging things that day. In your folder, I've made this little card with 20 easy ways to begin to encourage those people in your life. Hang it up somewhere and use it as a help to you. The task of encouraging one another is a command from God and he expects us to do it. Encourage one another every day as long as it is still called today so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. I hope that as you leave here today that you will remember that every day God will provide what you need to stand as a woman of courage. Trust him that he has provided the Holy Spirit as the source of your courage, and that what is seen is is temporal. But as we live with an eternal perspective, we have courage and glorify God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you give us hard things in this life to prepare us for eternity. And I pray, Father, that as we leave, that our eyes will be fixed on you and things eternal. Give us, Father, this eternal perspective. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
0: Wow, so much application and so, so much we can learn from this talk today. I hope you were both challenged and encouraged. And speaking of encouragement— This is something that Cheryl challenged us to be more diligent to do each and every day. Be an encouragement to others rather than be a Karen or really just be critical, right? How can you be an encouragement today? I thought I would end by sharing with us 10 quick ways to be an encouragement. If you're married, smile and greet your husband when he comes home from work and thank him for the work that he does to provide for your family. If you're a parent, speak those words, I love you, to your child and give them a hug. Maybe even encourage them by stopping what you are doing to play with them or read a book. If you are a parent of an older child, speak how you see the fruit of the Spirit active in their lives. Tell them so they're encouraged that God is at work. If you are a full-time working woman, Look for a way to thank someone in your job today, maybe someone who does something every single day that helps you in your job, even though they might actually be getting paid for it. Look around at the leaders in your church and take a minute to either text or write a personal note to your Bible study leader, your small group leader, your pastor or youth pastor, or even the janitor in your church, thank them for what they do. When you make cinnamon rolls for your family, double it up and take some over to a neighbor and thank them for being great neighbors or just tell them that you wanted to bless them. Take a minute today and text a friend and tell them you're praying for them and then actually follow up and pray for them. Make a goal to encourage someone who's older than you each day and someone who's younger than you. Either use phone call, a text, or find them in conversation and speak encouragement into their lives. Be kind. I know the world thinks they own this, but Christ actually owns and is the epitome of kindness. Be kind to the cashier at your local grocery store or your hairstylist or your dentist. Be kind to the clerk at the desk or the person on the other end of the phone when you have to call about a problem with your order. Kindness goes such a long way with people. It also gives us a chance to look for ways to speak of Christ. And finally, Look around for the children in your life, and look for ways to encourage them. Ask them questions and begin conversations with them, showing them that they are important. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I am grateful to you that you are our source of courage. We do not have to muster this up in ourselves. We can trust you. We know that you are powerful, strong enough, and sovereign over our situations and our circumstances, and we can have courage and take courage in you and in your word. Guide each woman listening today as she is working through how to be an encouragement to those around her. Give her creative ideas, Lord, help each one of us to look for ways to love and encourage those in our presence each day and in our thoughts. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. And it's time for this episode's Tiny Tidbit. A tiny tidbit is a small piece of information that can help you in a really big way. Today's Tiny Tidbit is brought to you from Emily Beckley. You're back. Emily, what do you got for us today?
2: Well, I'm going to be talking about laundry today. No,
0: I don't want to talk about laundry.
2: (laughs) Everybody's favorite subject, we all know. (laughs) I Uh, have yet to meet someone who likes to do laundry.
0: Okay. I'm, I will say this. My mom <laughs> likes to do laundry. See, there you go. I
2: said, no, they're out there. I just it, haven't met one yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Okay. Okay. Well, how do you make laundry better? Give us your tip. Well, I really, I mean, like I
2: said already, I really hate laundry or okay. hardly dislike <laughs> since I don't like to really use the word hate. Okay. <laughs> so I hardly dislike laundry. It is really the worst chore for me. It's right up there with cleaning bathrooms, yep. especially with boys. <laughs> yep. But folding it and putting it away is just, it's just torture. So for a long time, I would just do the laundry and it'd be clean, and then my kids would just go pick out their laundry from the baskets in the basement. Of course, but yes. that took forever, and then there really was laundry everywhere.
0: And then it was hard to tell if it's yes. clean or dirty. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't
2: know what's what. So then, by the time I'd fold it, I'd have like eight to nine baskets full, and it would just take hours. Yeah, and it was just awful. <laughs> so yes. Like one day I got caught up. This was last year. I got caught up, and I thought, it's so nice to be caught yep. up. I'm not. I'm not going to do that anymore. Uh, it just got to be too much. So now, I would just do a load a day. We're, we're very blessed to have a laundry chute, so it's not Ooh. hard for everyone to throw their clothes in it. Yep, It makes a huge difference, so I'm not hauling stuff up nice. and down the stairs. Okay. So I just do a load a day. Um, oftentimes, I'll do it after the kids are at school, so I get their clothes, and then I make sure it's dry. And before I go to bed, I'll put it in the dryer, and then in the morning, I'll get up and I'll fold it, and I'll just put nice. it away, and it's just done. And it takes awesome. like 15 minutes because I did some of it the night before. I took that five minutes to do that the right, night before. Right. And then I had to just to fold a load. And um, even this kind of goes back to exercise too. I would, instead of putting it in a basket, I would walk at each room upstairs. Like I just carry it. And then I'm yep. going up and downstairs, yep. getting more steps in. And, and that's just,
0: good for you. Yeah.
2: Exactly. And good so. for me. <laughs> Didn't mean just for you, but. <laughs> well, no. Yeah, exactly. So I'd put like my clothes and the little kids' clothes away. And then my older kids, I just put the clothes in their room and and they take care of it.
0: Okay, so I love... You know what I love about this is it is... Well, first, I love that you said that you got caught up and you were like, oh, no, I'm not going to go back there. Yeah. Because exactly. I've had that happen where I'm like, nope, I'm not going to let the dishes fill in the sink like that again. At yeah. least not for a few <laughs> years, you know? Exactly, yes. But then I also love that you turned it into an everyday habit.
2: Yes. Yeah, it was hard because I struggle with that, but I just thought, you know, that that really feeling accomplished. yeah. <laughs> and yeah. looking at my laundry room and it's not just full of piles of clothes yep. made a huge difference
0: yeah and you know what we live with in families where kids are going to mess up clothes yeah and and our husbands are going to mess up clothes and we're going <laughs> to do it and we're going to need to wash them so exactly it's just a part of life right and so you've made it a habit that's a great yes. great tiny tidbit today wonderful I'm glad
2: I hope uh, someone can be inspired by <laughs> yeah it. I love it thank yes, you thank you're you
0: you're welcome Thanks for listening. Join us next week for our monthly installment of Our Mom to Mom Ministry. Our Mom to Mom Ministry is a great ministry. We have a church that focuses on the important job of motherhood. We're going to take a look next week at some of the mundane tasks of life and how these actually can be done for God's glory. So join us for that. Don't forget to like or follow us on Instagram or Facebook. You can find us at Women of the Word CTW. There is so much good content there you are not going to want to miss. Also, you can find us on any of your favorite podcast directories. So go and subscribe. You can find us at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify. Honestly, wherever you are, we are probably there. And remember, when everything around you is shaken, you can stand unshaken because of our rock and our fortress, because of God. Until next time.